confronting authors with real questions about the writing process, the difficult and disheartening publishing industry, and why anyone would choose to torture themselves in the world of writing, this is the Literally Podcast with your host, writer, runner, and the literary voice of Ogden, Utah, Case Johnston. Exposing literature, the authors, the business, the process, the Literally Podcast. All right, thank you for listening to this podcast. This episode of Literally is sponsored by Lexicon and Line. Case, tell us a little something about Lexicon and Line. Uh, Lexicon and Line does three things. They, they are communications consultants. They teach professional business writing and speaking courses, and they are research and data evaluation experts. And you can find everything about Lexicon Online at lexicononline.com. Please give them a visit, and thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast, Lexicon and Line. Um, Lincoln and the Bardo, it's a, yeah, it's a great book. And if there's anybody who is a writer and they're looking for advice, uh, George Saunders is, is amazing that way. Everything that he's, he's got this real softness to him that, um, that when you are looking for writing advice, he makes you feel, he makes everybody who's reading it or listening to him on a YouTube video or not, he makes you feel as if your voice is extremely valuable. And he's, he tells you, you really need to go out and read those books. Um, so Brandon's here, our, our producer from the Literally Podcast. So are we recording? Yeah, we're, we're okay. definitely recording. So yep. now that Brandon's here, I got to do a fake start. Are we all cool These with are that? always the best because during the podcast, if he I, nails I, it every time. If I get it, yeah, if I get it right the first time, we all should cheers. It's everybody takes um, a shot if he yeah, gets it the uh, first time. But uh, okay, so we'll, we'll do a fake intro and Brandon will loop it back around to the beginning. And the, this podcast will be available at thebandingcollective.com underneath Literally Podcast. Literally podcast. Um, so this is Case Johnston. This is the Literally Podcast. Today we're... Uh, I told you. Take a shot. There we go. Okay, <laughs> this is Case Johnston. This Beer is the Literally Shandles. Podcast. We're, uh, that, mm, mm, I, so I need something. I the over-under is three. The over-under is three, so, so yeah. I should nail it on this one. Where are we? So it always comes across like I've done this really well, but Brandon edits me quite a bit. <laughs> This is Case Johnston. This is literally broadcast. Today we're, we're podcasting from the Big Mouth stage at the Utah Arts Festival. Um, th- thanks, Trish Hopkinson, for having us. Uh, thanks, for everybody, for being here. The sun has come out, finally. Uh, it was a little bit rainy and scared some people away, but hopefully it'll scare, the sun will scare them right back in. Um, today we're talking with, uh, we have uh, three guests and any audience members, if you'd like to come up and answer any of the questions that, we've, that we've, we, we broach, please feel free or answer or give us a question to discuss too because today we're kind of flipping gears and we're looking at not, uh, not using this podcast to talk about writers and our processes, but to talk about readers and what, what the reading world means to all of us. Uh, so we were most recently kind of introduced what we like to read and how that genre, how that genre changes throughout our time. If you notice, now that we're recording, I speak a lot better. <laughs> um, see, that was so much clearer than the first time around. I want to talk about something else, and this is just something within the industry that uh, my agent has told me is changing. And that is we had this kind of golden era of memoirs in the 1990s where memoirs were full of real life people, right? where real-life people were publishing memoirs, people who weren't celebrities, people who weren't Snooki, uh, people who weren't, right? 
But then we kind of, that golden age of memoir kind of passed for quite a while where the indie publishers, the strong indie publishers in the country picked up these really well-written memoirs about regular people, people who aren't celebrities, right? But the industry, I guess, is now shifting away from the celebrity memoir, um, and I want to ask why you guys m might believe that is happening, um, and is shifting back to a trend where larger publishers, the big, the big five, and when I speak about the big five, the big five are the big five publishers in New York City, the ones that make a, give authors advances of $250,000 and so on and so forth. Um, the Big Five is actually looking at acquiring more memoir that is about everyday life, about people who lived real lives and who aren't celebrity-based. Um, and I want to ask really quickly, um, if first off, if you read memoir, what, do, what is it about memoir that attracts you? Because sometimes I'm, I'm about 1,000 words, I'm 1,000 words, right, Mary, from finishing my memoir that I have to send off. And throughout a memoir, you ask yourself, who cares? Why would anybody care about me? And I think that's the larger question, right? Why do we read memoir? And why do you believe maybe we're pulling away from, why do you think the publishers are pulling away from Snooki? Not specifically Snooki. There's actually some good memoirs by famous people, but. Um, well, I think, I know I think a lot of people could relate with this one because this is, I think, a very just obvious example um, of why David Sedaris is so incredibly popular. Some of his favorite stories of mine have been, well, were early in his career and are just about his family. Just really simple, simple moments with his family, though. The one that, honestly, I think about this one every couple of months, it just comes to mind, the rooster. Uh, with his dad and, and his youngest brother, it it just completely resonated with me, but there's something about the way he just captures just sort of mundane family life and finds the humor and beauty in it um, that I think anybody can really relate to. And I think that's, that's why he's just incredibly, incredibly popular and famous. And he's also, of course, very talented. everybody has a story I think the problem with the celebrities is it's all over the place you see these people all over and we want to relate to people I don't relate to Snooki I'm short I've got a big bottom but I don't relate to Snooki you know so there's there's a relatable part of it that you find in, in anyone that is able to tell a story we all have something to say so I think that for me that would be one of the reasons that I would gravitate towards someone else's real life I'm embarrassed to say I don't even know who Snooki is, but maybe <laughs> maybe that's a good thing because I don't I don't really even know, and I don't read memoirs, and I'm not interested. She had a big memoir, million dollar advance. Yes. Okay. Probably about her. Well, well one of her podcasts is one of the most listened to as well. Oh, so, so okay, I'm a loser. I live under a rock, and uh, <laughs> that's okay. yeah, but it, yeah, it's a singer maybe. Uh, no, she was on Jersey Shore. TV. Oh, a reality TV. Okay, yeah. like our yeah. president. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I just don't read um, memoirs of famous people. And um, I think memoirs of regular people maybe is more attractive because there's a cautionary tale. Like, oh, yeah, they screwed up big time. I'm not going to do that. Maybe they got into drugs. Maybe they went on a backpacking trip without ever, like, putting their backpack on before they left. 
some lady that did that. Yeah. And it really, a millionaire now. But my son said, I was, uh, I was going on a trip to Nepal, and he goes, Mom, you need to do, like, have a really terrible experience where you almost die so you can come back and write a memoir about it and be famous. But you won't actually die. Just something really bad will happen that you'll live through. You have and to I, cut your arm off. Yeah, exactly. Get real close, yeah, exactly. Mom. <laughs> no, thank you. So I'm interested in the fictional autobiography. Uh, so that's good. Well, you, now you have a story, though. You, now you have a, at least an essay about how your son told you to almost die. That's a full essay, right? I mean, what, what we mean by all of that um yeah i i i agree like the celebrity memoirs i don't i just don't pick them up at all i want to read something that like like allison said it's maybe cautionary but at the same time if maybe you didn't heed that caution yourself and somebody else went through the same kind of experience in nepal maybe and and you say, yeah, that person understands me because they wrote a book about it and now I'm less alone and I feel better about, well, at least being human, right? Being a human on this planet and, and there's someone else out there that understands my struggle, whatever that might be, parenthood, uh, marriage, loss, um, anything that is real in memoir, if somebody else went through it, it makes you feel a little bit better if you went through it too, right? And um, so, kind of moving away from the kind of the real life type of writing to the exact opposite and that is fantasy worlds and I I made a joke at the beginning of the podcast that I'm dumb because I can't do it that I can't create worlds um, but sometimes I, I think I'm dumb in two ways because I'm not a poet and I'm not a fantasy guy uh, poets are really smart and fantasy people are really smart, and I can't do either of those two. Um, so that puts me kind of in the middle. Maybe you're too smart. No, I don't think so. I, I think I figured that out in other ways in life. Um, but with fantasy, creating of worlds is something that I could never do. Is there, some, is there something you've read lately that kind of just blew your mind in the sense of this person created a world that I couldn't do it or created it in a way that was different from what else you've read like in the past? I mean, does that make sense? Is there something blow, does, have you read something lately that blew your mind? Well, these George Saunders short stories I'm reading in December 10th are sort of science fiction-y, but you don't realize it until you're halfway through the story, which I think is brilliant, because suddenly, because they're, they're sort of um, rooted in society, but then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, this isn't, um, I don't know, it's so hard to describe. It's like, oh wow, yeah, this is like, he just tweaks it and then you realize there's some futuristic thing going on and people are in an experiment. And so it's really, um, yeah, it's brilliant. I could never write anything like that. I just, it just blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, speculative fiction right now is, is really pretty awesome. And I think that's why it's getting to be more and more popular is that it's so much based in real life, but with really um, fantastical, or science fiction, just sort of little tweaks. So um, V.E. Schwab's uh, Vicious, I think that's what it's called. Um, I read it about a year ago, and it's really amazing. It has a really good follow-up, um, and she's just really good speculative fiction in general. I think our society is on the verge of becoming science fiction in so many yes, ways, too. Yeah. Well, the gap, well, I mean, because science fiction has always kind of, kind of tried, tried to tackle technology and where it's gonna take us. And I think 
maybe that, that might be a whole other discussion, but we can discuss it right now in the sense of how is, how are writers, do you think, um, how are writers very, not only influential, but important in wrangling in the things that we're dealing with in the real world, mainly a lot of it with technology, a lot of it with our, my iPhone right here, you know? I actually turned it over, you know, it's on the thing. But how do you guys think, where are writers place in looking at these larger concepts that we're, we're tackling as a society? Do we come down on one side or the other, or do we, do, or do we just observe? Must be a really good question. A really bad question. Or, or, no, but I'll, can I, let me step back to reality, the memoir on reality TV, not work, <laughs> just, just for one second. <laughs> reality TVs, the, the celebrities maybe not working, because when you read, when I read, I want depth, I want meaning, I want, I'm not trying to pass the, t contrary to popular belief, I don't dive into a whole bunch of romance model, uh, novels, um, although I have in the past. But, uh, <laughs> You know, but that's what reality TV is for. And that's why they're celebrities, and then they have a pull, they've got people, and so they can easily sell books, and they can easily get million dollar advances. Doesn't mean their shit's any good. So the, the memoirs we really want to read is the stuff with meaning about real people, and that's probably why those, the, 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 big, the big boys out of New York are saying, that, you know what, let's go back to that trend. Yeah, I, I feel like what's popular and what makes money and what actually has value is, is, is not um, equal. Mm -hmm. um, but with the science fiction, I feel like some of it is also a cautionary tale. Like they're looking into the future and looking at a specific science and say, well, okay, there's a story about how this could get out of hand. We're using some, something like this now, and then it would throw us in a little bit in the future when this technology gets out of hand, and then they present a, like a little dystopian vision and a glimpse into that, and hopefully that'll make us pull back before we realize that we're not using phones, phones are using us. Yeah. Wait, is that true? Yes. <laughs> phones are using us, and our, I feel like our gen generation of young people are in serious danger, but the, I could just go on a rant, so I will try not to. But, uh, well, then we'll pivot. No, you said something? Did you have something else to say? Uh, yeah, well, I think I was going to kind of piggyback off what uh, Brianna was saying in terms of kind of going back to this idea about kind of this quick, like, makes a lot of money, um, they're making a lot of money, and uh, they're probably selling a lot of books. But those books are, they might be, I mean, they're just like simple TV that you would just sort of sit and watch. But it's not like a series, or it's not like a book that's going to stand the test of time. Um, and I think we all, like, when I described what I was reading now, like, a romance novel is one of them. Um, I honestly think it's very well written. But like, a good book, like, it's amazing to think about, even when you're a kid, a kid knows a good book from a book that's not memorable. Like, there's a reason that even kids' books, there's classics, um, because they just resonate. There's something about it that's just really beautiful and perfect. So nobody's going to remember the autobiography of, or the memoir of Snooki. Um, I remember it daily. <laughs> because of the advance she got. No. The advance, yeah. Depends on what part you remember. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, we will remember Michelle Obama's uh, memoir, so. Okay, so are you yeah. done writing memoir? 
I, one, you, I think you called it quits in the past. I called it quits after my last book. Um, I have 1,000 words left until I'm officially done writing memoir. Okay. And that's it. I'm turning it in. I'm never writing memoir well, wh again. Why is that? If it's is there a trend is going, that's... Uh, well, this one should fit the trend, um, I, but I didn't write it for trends. Um, I was thinking about an indie publisher when I started writing it. Um, and it probably will end up with a good indie publisher. And that's another discussion, too, is that for a lot of years, what the big five have been doing for the last 20 years, decade, is they've been using the, indie, the good indie publishers to kind of test the waters. So if there's something really good, like George Saunders, that comes out with a, a great short story, story collection, they'll let a really good indie publisher test the waters to see if if that book's gonna sell, and then when it wins awards, like a lot of in, in really good indie publishing companies are, are doing now, they're winning the biggest awards in the country for, for, for literary fiction, for memoir. Then the big guys are coming in and buying out those contracts and kind of hurting the little guys. But some of the big authors in the last 10 years have started to say, well, no, this little indie publisher, they bought my short stories, they bought this novel that's maybe a little more daring than what the big five will do, and I'm gonna stick with this publisher. And so a lot of the big, big publishers are, um, they are not, getting what they used to get because these smaller indie, indie publishers can get just as wide of an audience because of the way in which our book industry works today. I mean, there's, there's two sides of that, right? There's the side that with Amazon, anybody can put something out there, and a lot of the stuff that is self-published is really, really, really good. It's excellent stuff. It's really good self-published work. The hard part is that it lives in a huge world of a lot of stuff that isn't proofread. Um, so, a lot of the big publishers are kind of looking at memoir. They're looking at somebody that wins the Man Booker Prize, and he's from that. He or she has won that um, from a small publisher. Um, so yes, after the question was, "Are you almost done with memoir?" Yes, I'm sorry, <laughs> I totally went the wrong way with that. Carrie, did you have something to say? I did. Yeah, so back to your science question and um, these these writers and their place and and where they fit in right now. And our family, my husband and my oldest son is 14, read Ready Player One. Have you? Okay, very popular. They made a movie about it. It caused an entire six weeks long conversation in our home about government. And it was interesting to hear what my 14-year-old son had to say versus my 43-year-old entrepreneur husband and where the focus of the book lies. And then the movie came out, and it was exceptionally disappointing. And what they gained from the movie was not what the book was really trying to say, and they felt that there were really awful mixed messages. And so the, the issue that we kind of are rolling into with our kids is they read these really great books. But then what happens when they, they buy into the movie piece of it, and it really isn't great? because now all of a sudden we're getting completely different conversations. It's just kind of interesting. How old are your kids, do you mind me? Um, yeah, 14, 13, and 11. Okay. Yeah. I was, t my, my son was a voracious reader as a young person, and I was told by the time he hit 15, he would stop reading with the phone, and he has stopped reading, it's devastating to me. He's completely stopped reading, besides whatever he has to read for English class. My, my two oldest are, they read, and we have to have the series complete before we're even allowed to pick up the first book because they have to know how it ends. But they're both big fantasy readers, and I'm not, so they do that with Dad. I can't do it. <laughs> Sorry. Do they, does your husband and your kids, do they read at the same time? Yeah. Like, together, or together. they have two, two separate copies? They're together. reading? 
That is so cool. We, Harry Potter was a big thing at our house um, because it came out when our oldest was like five. And we had a map in the playroom that showed where all of the towns were located and where all the characters lived and where they were coming from so that he could visually see. But the movies weren't the same to him as it was reading it out of the book. It just, it starts, you start getting into that piece of it too where Hollywood creates this other fascination. That was, that was Case's original topic for today's show was... Wow. What was the difference between the books and the movies? And, and, and I don't know what happened to that topic. <laughs> I, I got started, started somewhere else. Somewhere else. I, was like, I, 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 I asked them to come saying, we'll talk about movies. Yeah. And then I, then I started asking questions about how right, where writers belong in the world and technology. I, I do that with people. I bade them in. No, no, it's perfect. It was actually, it was actually something that I was, yeah. I was really thinking about discussing. Um, and that, it really is. Is there... Uh, the, let me start with the first question. The first question, is there, the, is there that book that you read that you want your kids to read um, that holds a place in your heart? What started us all as readers, did, do any of you have, first off, is there that book? And secondly, did they ever read it and say, no, it's not that good, and did it break your heart? If it didn't, that's okay. You don't have to lie. Shel Silverstein, oh. We started reading him when I was in third grade. I was addicted to his books. I have every copy of his books. I actually went to one of his readings when I was like 10. And my mom was like, are we seriously going to see this guy? None of my parents were into reading at all, and it was a big deal. And I remember that I had it in my child's nursery. It was so exciting, and I'm reading him the giving tree as he's getting older, and he's like, why are you reading this to me? This is dumb. Yes, I cried a little that day. Uh, Lucas isn't quite old enough to read anything that I adored when I was younger, but if he doesn't like Roald Dahl, I will be <laughs> devastated. I'm just devastated that my teenage son has stopped reading, so I don't know what else to say. <laughs> it's depressing. We'll pivot. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> uh, Something smells really good, and I have not. They have, yeah, well, it's lamb. going back to the way we podcast, yeah. Allison was the only one up here who actually does it correctly because she had a beer guy, yeah. uh, and the beer was delivered on time, and none of the rest of us have beer. But normally, when we podcast, we all have beers, and so it, it's pretty good. Yeah, and now they now they got the smell of food, and it's like well, yeah. this is moving along nicely here. So. Um, yeah, a beer guy. So we'll do it. It's called a husband. Yeah, yeah. husbands are good yeah. sometimes. Um, this is Case Johnson. This is a Literally Podcast. Today we're uh, podcasting from the Utah Arts Fest in the Big Mouth stage. Uh, we have guests today. We're really uh, focusing on what it is to be readers instead of what it is to be writers. Uh, I, think a, I think a lot of writers, sometimes they get, they're down in their basement and they're writing and they forget that they have readers and that the readers really, without readers, we, I mean, a lot of writers can say they, they, they're going to write and they don't care if anybody reads their work. And that's believable to a point. Uh, but I think we have to always remember that we're writing for our readers and to know what they, what they are liking right now and why they like it. So we're discussing um, topics uh, that, uh, that usually don't get discussed on the podcast. You know, uh, We're not going to talk about prose, and we're not going to talk about sentences, which I could talk about sentences forever, because I love talking about sentences. Um, That's the best part. I love, yeah. I, and then 15 minutes later, we're still talking about sentences. Um, so let's go back to what Carrie said, though, and that is, is there a book, however, and I'm going to answer last because I'm going to cheat. 
um, is there a book that did do well within its adaptation? And there are large classes at the university and in graduate school talking about uh, uh, novels to adaptations and, and, and using those as literary criticism. So this is not a, this is not a pedestrian question. It's a, a question that really asks, what books did well and why did they do well in your mind when it came to the movies? Um, okay, I'll go last. So the one that I think has been great, um, I, but it's a docu-series. It wasn't a movie that Netflix just, um, John Grisham was the executive producer, uh, The Innocent Man. Um, actually, true crime, back to that. But um, he read a newspaper article um, about this story and couldn't believe that it was true. And it's the only, it's the only book that he's written that's true, true crime. Um, it's not made up. It's not a made-up world. And then he was so fascinated with it, he then produced the docu-series that's currently um, on Netflix, and it's fascinating. And it just kind of it really puts that world. You know, you you envision what these characters look and sound like when we're reading these books. When you can actually meet that person who's behind bars and say, "This is a complete injustice," it puts a whole other spin on it. So that one's been good for me. Um. I was thinking about this on the way over, and I think, um, honestly, I feel like children's books are so easily nailed in movie form because I feel like there's just this license to just capture the magic, and the kids are in it. But I swear, anytime there is um, like a, a just a novel that's made with adult characters, there's just all these egos, and it just doesn't turn out to be anything like I imagined. Like a good example of a total fail was uh, Blindness, which did not translate to movie at all. Like it didn't capture the disorient, just how disorienting it was. Like it didn't, it was just really, really bad. One uh, series that did work well, I thought were Nick Hornby's, um, like About a Boy, uh, Fever Pitch, High Fidelity, even though it translated from England to the US, I felt like those movies actually really captured the book. So as a uh, podcast producer, um, I read self-help books and business <laughs> books and very book, book, and I don't watch movies. I just, I, my wife, it blows her mind because I don't watch movies. I've never seen a Harry Potter movie. I haven't, I don't watch them. Um, and then you, brought, but then you brought up The Grinch, or, or kids' movies. I'm like, oh, The Grinch, yeah, I read that. And they made that into a movie, Jim Carrey, thank you. Uh, but I really don't, most of the books that I read are on, on the self-help, business mastery type, type level. And so it's, you don't see a lot of those made into movies. Right? And there's some inspirational ones, but yeah. Um, and like I said I, at the beginning, I'm, I'm going to cheat. We have three more minutes, um, and then we have to shut this party down for the... Um, for the Rock Canyon, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> for the Rock Canyon poets, um, um, so I, w I would say that it's not fair with novels. There's too much in novels to make a good movie, but I have seen a lot of short stories move from short story form to really successful movies, and I think it's because the short stories are so small that they're able to bring in everything that the author had done and then expand upon it in, with the author's vision. Like, if you can think about it, you would say, like, um, uh, Fitzgerald's uh, Benjamin Button. I mean, the story is about, uh, it's about 20 pages, 25 pages long, 
And that movie was better than the actual short story was because the director was able to take the concept, which was very tiny, and make it very big. Um, uh, Shoeless Joe Goes to Iowa was another one for Field of Dreams. It's a, it's a story that's only 20, 20 pages long, but that, the Field of Dreams was an excellent movie. And it really ended, the short story really ended about 15 mov- minutes into the movie. Um, but the other, only other novel that I would say was, would be uh, McLean's A River Runs Through It. That's a beautiful book that uh, as far as the novel, the movie goes, they were able to capture the long casts into the water and the waiting for the fish and the family and those long moments on the river. Um, that's probably, that's one of my favorites as a whole. But I cheated. I was, see, I had a list. Um, yeah, so. Yeah. Did, did you see the Raymond Carver adaptation with Will Ferrell? Where he's got, he's the beginning, he's like got all of his stuff on the lawn in the yard sale. And Will Ferrell's a comedian oh, and yeah, it's a I really serious yeah. movie. Okay. That was good. Yeah. yeah I can't remember good. the name of it though. Yeah. That, everything yes. Must Go. That was a really good one. Um, well, good. Well, we're done. That was fast, right? I mean, <laughs> thank you so much for listening <laughs> to us to, to talk about books. Next up, we have the uh, Rock Canyon Poets. And I'll be back in like two minutes to announce them while we clear this. Sweet. Thanks, everyone. Awesome.